0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Pod of Greed.
1: Welcome back after our brief hiatus over the Thanksgiving holiday.
0: Yeah, uh, took a week off. Sorry, probably should have said something about that um, the week before, but...
1: But we were simply too full.
0: Yeah, it was a crazy week. A lot of traveling, seeing family. Um, But we are back, and... A lot of stories, a few things to catch up on. New Yu Gi Oh stuff, interesting card game stories this time. I've seen a few. Yeah, I've I have some interesting wild things. Some gaming things. Um, but first a little bit of housekeeping. So, um, if you check our description, you can actually find our uh, what's it called a, uh, a Google form, yeah, a
1: Google form where you can uh, submit questions for next pod, and that it's in the
0: show notes on uh yeah Apple. on Spotify and like Apple Podcasts and stuff. You'll have a Google form. Just go there. You can submit things. Um, and we'll just kind of have it as like a running thing we can check and try to get around to more topics. Uh, also, we are going to be starting a Pod Agreed Clips channel or highlights channel. Just so you can get
1: bite-sized pieces of the pod, not have to consume the entire pod just for a specific story.
0: Yeah, a lot of people seemed like they were in favor of that. So uh, we'll be making it happen. And uh, I think, oh, yeah. I have a review for us from, okay. from Apple Podcasts. Wait, how many stars? Uh, this is a five-star review.
1: Wow.
0: So remember, guys, if you uh, ever leave reviews, we might read them in the podcast. This guy says, guy, girl, it could be anything. Them. Tai 7 says, possibly favorite podcast. Oh. I've gotten back into the habit of listening to podcasts within the last year or so, and this just slots right into my regular rotation. While this is primarily a Yu-Gi-Oh! focused podcast, I appreciate hearing stories related to other TCGs and broader topics. These feel like the types of topics I'd hear discussion on in my card shop. Keep up the good work and stay well.
1: We'll try. We will try.
0: Awesome, yeah. We always appreciate um, any positive reviews, of course. Really helps. Ratings as well, even just those. um,
1: And it's that slight ego boost I need to get through my day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose those help too. So, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh off the bat. Yu-Gi-Oh. I think the biggest story that we missed last week, actually, was um, a, a new Master Duel band list.
1: Oh, here he goes, y'all.
0: It's kind of funny, since doing this podcast, I feel like we just... It's really... Let me see how many Master Duel band lists there are, because there's just... There have been a lot. I of we talk about at least one a month. Um, I feel like we talk about two a month. Yeah, sometimes more. So it, this one, uh, most of the discussion on this has kind of already been done. So I'll try not to spend a lot of time on it. But there is obviously like a a big card or two on it that like everyone has strong opinions about. So this is going to be going into effect, I think, on December 5th, um, roughly that date, right before the next Duelist Cup. Mm-hmm. It is a pretty large ban list. So they limited Runic Fountain and Math Mac Diameter. They semi-limited Cyanet Mining... Um, Tempest Dragon Ruler of Storms, Pot of Desires, Quick Launch, Chaos Space, Pirelli, um, Pirelli Delicious Memory, Labyrinth Stovey Torby, and then they Unlimited Zodiac Dryden and Lyrilus Cobalt Sparrow. So, um, I know you're not like super familiar with Master Duel, so this is, you know, probably not too much you'll know a load about.
1: However, I do know those archetypes that are being hit
0: kind of slightly. Yeah, slightly. So this is a typical Master Duel ban list, like, on brand at this point. Mostly semi-limits? Lots of semi-limits. A lot of semi-limits. A couple limits, um, some things coming back. Not many bans, or not any bans in this case. Before we dive into the specific hits, I just want to
1: just draw the comparison to how the TCG has been semi-limiting less and less cards. Yeah. But Master Duel is like, oh no, that's just most of the list. We just semi-limit half the
0: game. It's so interesting. I mean... I know we're kind of just, you know, retreading the same ground here, but I really do think that with Master Duel's ban lists, the objective is strictly, strictly shaving down win rates and, like, representation rates. Just percentages. Just the smallest little percentages. Um, Some of the hits are pretty good. Some are bad. So I'll go through them one by one. Um, Runic Fountain to one. I I like that. Oh, and I made a video kind of sharing ban list thoughts as well if anybody wants to watch that. But, yeah, Runic Fountain to one. So... I think a lot of people will, like, cheer this on, but I'm going to say I didn't see a lot of Runic to begin with in these past, like, couple months, On at least, like, not on Ladder, and I know that's what they're usually looking at for these hits, and, like, Runic Fountain was already at two, so this seems like this is, like, an extreme, like, they really are just trying to, like, kind of bury this deck a bit.
1: I mean, but then you gotta look at the rank that you play at. You play at Master Rank, and I don't even think most players are at Master Rank, so...
0: Well, I mean, I'm usually kind of bouncing between, like, that and Diamond, and, like, I do see Runic a bit. It's just, it's not, it's it's not, like, card needs to be limited territory, I guess. Just, Did they rob you? Uh, no, I think what it is is just Runic's not a very pleasant deck to play against on average. It never for will most be. People. And so that's probably why they hit this card. <laughs> I don't think that they really needed to, because it was already at two. And Runic can still access this card. It just means that, like, when Runic Fountain gets destroyed or especially banished, it's going to be really very difficult for this, for this deck to recover. So uh, It's fine. I won't complain. I don't like facing Runic. I just think that this was maybe a little bit much. Um, Mathmech Diameter is the really big one. So, Mathmech is currently, some people would say, maybe the best deck in Master Duel right now, like right behind Pirelli. Um, oh, shout out
1: to the Mathmech players, because y'all been telling us, and we
0: Yeah, it's strange, because they hit Diameter and not Mathmech Circular, which Circular is the huge combo-starting Mary Sue card, I always call it.
1: I call it that Mary because... Sue.
0: Well, you know, like, in so in literature, you know, like, a Mary Sue mm-hmm. character or whatever. Yeah, Mathemic Circular is that. It's just a perfect card. <laughs> it it starts... Like, it sets up everything on its own. Activates in hand by sending a Mathemic from deck as a cost, so that can't even be, like... Can't be interactive. That can't with be, like, Ast or whatever. And then, like, it's a special summon, and then the thing from the grave summons, and then uh, Circular will start to spell her trap, and, like, everything just goes... And it's, it's really like a, a linchpin card to the extent that I would say without Circular, MathMec would be like five tiers lower. But because of Circular, it's like ungodly reliable. And um, in the TCG and the OCG, they hit Circular to one. Both territories did. And it's so strange that Masterdill went with Diameter, which is a card that's kind of, it's used in their primary combo but it's more of a recovery card, and putting it to one does not change the combo or, like, the consistency in any way. It just changes maybe the deck's ability to, like, I guess, recover in terms, like, three, four, five, something like mm-hmm. that. Um. So, I don't know. This one, A lot of people were pretty dissatisfied with this. I, I kind of am, too. I just... I'll hold out hope and see if, like, maybe it, they knew what they were doing after all, and this will change the experience of playing against Mathmec, but... I would have preferred a circular hit. I don't. I don't like MathMix circular very much. Um, but that's you know, there's been plenty said about MathMix, so that's that's all I'll add to it. Um, and so a lot of semi limits, like you said, signet mining to two. Sure. Uh, what does that specifically hit? I mean, I guess it's supposed to be another one of these hits to MathMix consistency, ever so slightly, because they they do run signet mining and like small world and stuff ways to search circular. So. Like, sure. Um, Something that I've seen people kind of unhappy about with this, though, Mm -hmm. is just that, like, it also... um, It does also indirectly hurt, like, weaker cyber stacks. Like, maybe your Marincess or Salamangra. Well, I don't
1: have Marincess, but I, I imagine other people do.
0: Yeah, so... Uh um Tempest Dragon Ruler Storms went to two from one. So it's another instance of like a dragon ruler. Just bumping them up. Just proving like it can these cards can come back. It's the decision. Tsunami
1: give much. us all of them at three in Master Duel and the TCG.
0: I mean every day I feel like we inch closer to that reality and Also, inch closer to finding out that it probably would not be nearly as bad as people think it would.
1: I need Dragon Ruler Red Eyes, because that's the only way I'll ever play Red Eyes again.
0: That actually sounds like a really fun hybrid thing. Okay, uh, Pot of Desires went to two. So, this is kind of the continued crackdown on pot cards in Yu-Gi-Oh! Particularly Master Duel, because last list they did Pot of Extravagance to one... Um, they've already had Prosperity at one for a while. Now Desire is at two. I think that they're just kind of finding out pot cards are really good. And, and why they give them
1: to us as SRs?
0: Yeah, it is kind of strange. But I guess by not making them URs, it means that when you get the little bonus for like, um, cr- what was it? Called? like what crafting? Yeah, decrafting them or whatever, dismantling them. Like normally if a card gets hit on the ban list, you can dismantle it for like extra material. Right. That's like kind of they're paying you back. So some people have this running theory that like Master Duel kind of avoids banning URs and limiting URs for the most part because they don't want to give players back the crafting material.
1: That lines up a bit. What I in like the from like the mobile gaming space, mm-hmm. if something's considered very very rare, like a UR or something, they will move heaven and earth to like. Not take that from people to not break it, you know.
0: Yeah, some people think that's the same thing with circular because circular was like a UR or whatever, and oh. diameter's not, so maybe they didn't want to give players back a lot of dust.
1: Maybe that's why we <laughs> so. can't have Dragoon. It would have to be a UR, and then they would probably end up banning it.
0: Yeah, maybe I don't know. So yeah, Pot of Desires though, it's it's a two now. um I think they're just finding out like pot cards in modern Yu Gi Oh probably don't mix well because like. Single cards in modern Yu-Gi-Oh accomplish so much on their own that the idea of a card that lets you see a crucial single card kind of indiscriminately like these pot cards do is adds too much consistency on a game that's already consistent and high power level if that like makes any
1: But if sense. we don't have pot cards, aren't we just locked into whatever the archetypes base level because it's consistency is? Yeah.
0: Yeah, we are. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. Feels
1: like a lose lose.
0: I think it favors decks that already have a lot of built in consistency. Like you know, some of these decks have like just plenty of ways to see starters and stuff. It used whereas... to be that
1: was the the main dif- difference between a tier one deck and a tier two deck was consistency.
0: Yeah, and it still to some degree is so. Uh, still though, I guess they feel that these top tier decks are getting more out of the pot cards than other decks are. That's so. fair. Quick Launch and Chaos Space, both Linsa 2, these are uh, Dragon Link. Dragon hits. Link. I don't know how much these will really do. I think that the Chaos Space hit is nice because that was one of their better starter cards. But these are just small consistency hits in the sense that like when you lose to Dragon Link, it won't the experience of losing to it won't be any different. Nope. The top
1: end's exactly the same and uh
0: It just means that over Konami's billions of games that they're recording, Math or not Math but Dragon Link will lose slightly more then again how many of us have lost to a top decked quick launch that's true i mean like sometimes (laughs) that stuff happens so yeah we'll see i mean i I don't mind these hits i don't like dragon link much so hopefully this is kind of where maybe they might go a little further with this i hope like cast base could really go to one or something all right next is uh pirelli or pearly people get mad when i call it pirelli i didn't
1: What's, what, what is it supposed to be called?
0: Uh, apparently Pearly. Is the E silent? I call it Pirelli. Because then it'll I mean, be purely. Listen. Anyway, so they they hit the main cat itself, like the white cat. Just oh, this is named Pirelli, don't like or whatever. I like the
1: black one more.
0: Yeah, I like the black one. It looks cooler. Um, But yeah, so they hit the the white cat. It's the one that has no hard ones per turn on either of its effects. That effect. does need to be hit. So um, it's a little bit of a consistency hit, and then Delicious Memory is also a bit of a consistency hit um so i'm okay with these labyrinth stovie torby went wait to
1: are we still in limit two
0: yeah we're still in oh music. my god I'm trying to make my way through we're almost done labyrinth Stovey, torby went to two and i don't uh i don't i honestly this is like a weird hit because did anyone even run it at three some people ran it at three and some people kind of would cut it to two just for space i remember at one, one point is.
1: people running it at one or none
0: yeah the the furniture builds of the deck have become far and away the most popular variant this is a weird one to hit to two. I thought that they would maybe hit one of like the big welcome traps that actually like kind of really start things up. But Stovey Torby technically does that too because it can get them from the deck. So like, Is
1: you know. Arius in Mass Duel yet?
0: No, it's not. It'll probably be... In, okay, because
1: I think that's minutes. a pretty good replacement, I think.
0: So um, I don't think that this will hit Labyrinth much, but it's something. And then the Unlimited Zodiac, Dryden, and Lyrilus Cobalt Sparrow. Wait,
1: Dryden's Unlimited?
0: Yeah, Dryden's at three now. You might be able to do a little something with that. We're back, boys. All in all, um a band list fitting of the Master Duel label. Hey, if you guys are sick of
1: small band lists, come play Master Duel. They're they're massive. Yeah,
0: yeah that's a kind of an interesting thing. Like it does bring me to that whole thing where like Master Duel is just its own thing. Hmm. It's just Master Duel is its own Yu Gi Oh experience and love it or hate it, you know, it, it that that's what you get. Um you're getting a very different Format from the TCG, a different one from the OCG, and like different card pools, cards released at different By times. A, a and, fast degree, and it seems like they just have a different approach to it. I know some people are still upset, like they haven't hit, you know, uh, what is the card? Uh, Fenrir, Cashteriff, Fenrir. It what? Well, it there's nothing wrong with Fenrir. It just gets a
1: lot of advantage for almost <laughs> no investment.
0: Yeah, I was. I'm I'm one of those people who thinks like Cashteriff <laughs> Fenrir could afford to go to one, but I'll live with it. it it's fine. Um, because I
1: can't have a rise heart in a TCG, I want everyone to suffer. Fenris
0: curse and Maxi is still around. I know that's everybody's favorite master duel. They're card, never so. hitting that ever. Yeah, this yeah, yeah you got to come to, to happen terms happen. with that. Just, I don't think Maxi's going anywhere. It's just it is the master duel baby, and they will protect it as such. It will be protected. In other master duel news, though, It's more. Um, they just did a really big update. It's uh, the Egyptian god cards centric sort of update so they each got their alternate art cards um
1: okay okay and
0: also they finally gave the egyptian god cards summoning animations there are, are summoning yeah they didn't have summoning animations for the egyptian gods that's insane for like basically the first two years of master duel you summon a god card and like no special effect nothing happened so yeah they finally have them they have them for both their regular arts and their alternate arts
1: so do they have different uh animations, if you're using the alt art versus the normal art. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: if you use the alt art, it's just that art gets its cool summon thing. Mm,
1: that's cool.
0: Yeah, very cool. I um I did a live stream the other day actually on the main channel, Team APS. We uh, were trying to summon the Egyptian god cards and see their artworks and like, they also have new finishing attack animations. So like, if you win the duel by attacking with a god card, you'll see like Obelisk's Fist of Fate just, or... just
1: fists the entire match. Yeah,
0: like it literally just punches their field and destroys it. And it's very cool. I wasn't able to successfully see them all, but... Which ones did you successfully see? I got to summon uh, Ra and Slifer, and I got to win a duel with Ra. And it looked pretty cool. Okay. I was doing this in Diamond Rank, by the way, for context. So (laughs) so it was very hard. I should have just gone into casual mode. Your opponent's like, ooh, free wins. (laughs) Yeah, it was like a six-hour long stream. We just sat there and lost all day. I had fun. (laughs) But... um, (laughs) <laughs> but it was rough losing to like math Mech and dragon link and people stuff all day long. The, the,
1: you know why the stream was so big? Because people watching were hopping into mass duel realizing there's someone giving out free wins in diamond. Yeah, Ray. free wins
0: tonight. You guys can rank up. Um. So yeah, and then they've added a few new like um mates fields the works. And like a Genex controller mate that you can get. It's like a glacial ice.
1: Genex controller kind of always looks
0: so sad to me. Just. Well, I think the story with Genex controller is that it it's kind of like an abandoned piece of technology, isn't it? Like it's, it's like kind of like a VCR. Yeah, like it's like, kind of looks like it's just in a junkyard. It's been tapped for all of its like energy and it's just sad, man. Yeah, so that's pretty much it on the Master Duel front. Um cool. I so, didn't want to take that long talking about it, but I did. So
1: deep down you did, you know you did. So, this was actually a story from last week that I didn't get a chance to talk about. Another Yu-Gi archetype was announced in the OCG.
0: Oh, another one? Yes. So, oh, so this is separate time. from the Marshmallow. Y- yeah, last time okay. we
1: talked about the uh, ceremonial mm-hmm. duel oh, Yu-Gi archetype. Well, this is the toys. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, the OCG announced Toy Soldier, Toy Tank, and Toy Box. Hmm. And I remember reading all of their effects before, and I've forgotten it. But now, what is it? Yeah, you can set them to your spell and trap zone, and then when they uh, leave the field, they get effects. It feels like we're getting a lot of archetypes and monsters that just end up in your spell and trap zone nowadays. Just
0: yeah. Wait. So, did you use the toys?
1: Yes. Oh my god. Where? I think it was in Yu Gi Oh R.
0: I'm oh, okay. So something a little more obscure.
1: Obscure Yu-Gi-Oh! R is definitive sequel to the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga. I mean,
0: yeah, and that's sort of true, actually. It's not like sort a, of. Very. It wasn't written by Kazuki like, Takahashi, that <gasps> right? I mean, I don't, I don't think it was.
1: wait Was it not? Oh wait, it, might it was, was because you did a short on You're this. Right. So it was his it assistant. Wasn't. That makes I mean, it even more. official. Not, I'm
0: sure he like okayed it's it. It's
1: more official than
0: GX. You might piss people off of that statement. Right? <laughs> um.
1: But yeah, they, you, can, you set these guys. Like, I'll read just one of their effects real quick just for, so mm-hmm. you can see. So Toy Soldier is a level 4 light warrior effect monster. 1500 attack, 1000 defense, nothing special. Uh, you can only use the second and third effects once per turn. You can set this card from your hand to your spell and trap zone as, as a spell. If this set card in the spell and trap zone is sent to the graveyard, you can special summon it. So it doesn't have to get destroyed, it just has to be sent. If this card is normal or special summoned, you can add one toy box from your deck to your hand. Or if you already control toy box, you can add one level four light monster instead.
0: Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of like the grandpa Demito. Do you remember those? Like those oh, old.
1: Oh, that was, those, was that? like
0: the box of friends. Yeah. and all that. Well, this is the toy box. Yeah, this is a little different. Different box. But it, it feels it just kind of has kind of similar vibes.
1: And we actually already have a, a toy card in the TCG that has never had the rest of its archetype. Wait what? Toy magician. Oh, it's like an old secret rare. Oh, okay. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, and it's honestly it's worse than all of these because I think Toy magician actually has to be destroyed in your Spelling Trap Zone,
0: while these just need to be sent. I bet it doesn't have a hard once per turn. If it's old enough, it probably doesn't. It <laughs> That's probably, probably the doesn't. one nice thing. But yeah, no.
1: I don't even know if that card has this, like a reprint. I wonder if you can it, get your hands. on
0: this, it. I guess this is also in that set. Um, the what is it called? It's not Legacy of It's Legacy of Nightmare. Let's see. Is this that what the is, name of the set is? They have it labeled as twenty-four PP? Oh, like that might be like a Premium Pack. Premium pack yeah. thing in the OCG. Okay. Because I know that the um the like sarcophagus of light thing mm-hmm. that's in um the next set after. Is it called Legacy of Nightmare? I oh, it's it's, it's, it's in a main set? It's a main set. It's the main oh, set that's okay. after What's the one with you, Bill? Uh, Phantom Nightmare. Yeah, it's the one that's after Phantom Nightmare.
1: No idea what the name is. I'm. I don't think it's Legacy of Nightmare. Nightmare. It's like
0: like a Legacy of something. Anyway, the.
1: It sounds like the the type of archetype you'd see in like a um, animation chronicles or something.
0: Yeah, so a lot of Yu Gi Love. Lately, kind of. Konami
1: knows what sells.
0: Yeah, I mean that's cool. I'll I'll be, I will be interested in these archetypes. I just didn't know that they were really happening. Um, let's see, TCG wise, I'm not. Wait, I got a rant. Oh, you have a rant. Yep. I was like, wait, I've got it. So
1: I am sick of Konami printing more and more cards that just break the fundamental rules of Yu-Gi-Oh! I was mad about Ken and Gen, and I'm just as mad about these toy cards and every other archetype that plays monsters into your spell and trap zone like there isn't a place for
0: them already. Wait, so do they, I mean, but we've had plenty of that, right? (laughs)
1: And I'm sick of it. Oh, you just going, don't like the because they're
0: going, they're going further and
1: further. It's going, they're going harder and harder with this, with newer archetypes doing it. And remember when we got the uh, Seal of Ori Calcos? Mm-hmm. That was in its anime effect of letting you play monsters to your spell and trap zone. But they were like, no, no, that's too far. So they left oh, that effect out yeah, of Orikalkos. Calcos. But now we're it. just we're just playing monsters on our opponent's side, turn in their field and in our own spell and trap zones. So what I'm hearing is you're an old head. You don't want change.
0: Change? This (laughs) is
1: breaking the fundamental rules of the
0: game. Well, now that you mention it, I mean, I do, I'm always a little bit mixed. Like, like, like let's approach it critically, right? Mm -hmm. I see why Yu-Gi-Oh, the design space in Yu-Gi-Oh, I think everything feels like it's been explored in the conventional way. So I think maybe Konami feels like this is the next logical step is we just got to, like, start playing the monsters in some weird way they haven't been played before. I do sometimes wonder, though, like, with Yu-Gi-Oh!, is there, like, a breaking point with it? Because I think the artifact cards where you could, like, set the monsters or whatever, Mm. and then when they were destroyed, they did things, wasn't, like, too bad. And I'm not, like, to be clear, I'm not saying, like, oh, my God, artifacts are the worst thing that ever happened. No, no, no. I think they were fine. But then, like, also, there are new things that, what is that centurion. centurion centurion like go into the spawn trap zone but they go as traps and that means that their effects when they're traps are actually quick effects and it's kind of bizarre too because it means that like as a trap they can kind of dodge certain things that can only hit monsters and like it's very it's cool to see the design space be ventured into but it does sometimes make you wonder like Will Yu-Gi-Oh in another year to just be like kind of this unrecognizable amount of yes cards going everywhere.
1: I mean, Snake Eyes, Valence.
0: Yeah, Snake Eyes and stuff are already pushing things back. Valence. Like I like the creativity. I just I do sometimes. It feels like it's like one step away from maybe like breaking something next. Because so, I mean, it feels like because
1: Yu-Gi-Oh has fundamental rules of the game, and then when two people sit with separate decks to play against one another. Each deck is breaking one of those fundamental rules, rules as a
0: part of their strategy. And so it's like you're both yeah. playing different versions of Yu-Gi-Oh! against each other. That's Okay, so that's actually a, a thing that a lot of people have talked about. Um, different content creators, different people I see like, online and stuff. With Yu-Gi-Oh!'s learning curve now, uh, you, you learn the deck. You don't learn the game so mm-hmm. much anymore. So like you can learn the basic rules of Yu-Gi-Oh! But you're right, so many decks... their their specific gimmick or thing quite literally like is its own it's just you're learning to play the game in that way and so like Valence is doing a completely different thing than Centurion which is doing a totally different thing than you know Rescue Ace and and that's different than and so it's like there's originality and like kind of uniqueness and fun but also it's just like man like it's it's a bit much. Because, like, as a player, you could say, oh, well, you just gotta, like, learn your deck's gimmick, but that means that your skills may not really transfer over very much. And then also, you have to know, kind of, what all of these opposing decks do, or, like, quickly learn it on the fly and learn their nuances. And it can just get to a point where, like, there's a lot to, to process there, so.
1: I love Yu-Gi-Oh!, but it makes me angry.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it makes me angry, but I... I get what you like. What you mean? It's a lot of stretching around with like exact mechanics. We'll see. Keep it within the
1: rules, Konami. I'm watching you.
0: I guess. Oh, okay. I will add one last thing with that. It's like it's strange. They have all these different like gimmicks and mechanics and things, but it's like I still feel like they they haven't managed to actually balance the the baseline game yet. And like can't be dumb. So because huh. what's crazy is all these
1: like um, rule breaking archetypes, and most of them aren't good. Yeah, mostly,
0: I guess maybe that's the good part. Maybe that's why no one, like, cares too much. Because all it takes is for one of these archetypes to be annoying and good, like, and break the rules. Because, like, no one complains that much about, like, an archetype having a weird kind of gimmick, as long as it's not, like, beating everybody. Could
1: you imagine if Valence could, like, knock your entire board into your spell and trap zone, locking you out of your spell and trap zone?
0: Yeah, like, if (laughs) Valence was, like, a little more broken and they did it really fast or something and, like, made it where you couldn't play spells and trap, you know. That would suddenly. It's like nobody hated Ojama's, right? Like Ojama King locking out zones. They're horrible. But, like, when they had, like, the Shangri-era zone lock.
1: Yes, yeah, that a little, was too You know, much. that's a little
0: different with Diablosis. So, yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of, like, how far uh, will. How far do we need to push these archetype-breaking things before people get pissed off at them? I'm it already... Like it's like a totally a matter of time. Alex Snold no That's all. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, any other Yu-Gi-Oh stuff? I know TCG wise, we're getting the Fire King structure next week. Yep. Um, I'll be probably like taking a look at it. It looks good.
1: I think I'm, I'm going to get it three copies of it, which is weird. I don't actually like Fire Kings, but I always pick up Fire Kings. I did it in Duel Links, it. I did in the TCG. I, for some and I don't like them, but well, I always maybe you do them, like them. I find myself playing them so I'll get three of it just in case I I, I suddenly decide, ooh, I want to play Kieran again or I want to play Garnix
0: yeah. It's a strong it looks like this is a strong structure deck. I mean I know it's got some cool reprints. I think Imperms in there and a few other things. And um, Konami
1: likes fire right now, so
0: Yeah, fire's getting a lot of support. They got that card in the last set, that's like the kind of monster reborn thing. They're getting the fire princess and Phantom Nightmare. And there's another generic piece of fire
1: support coming too. Yeah, like the kindling thing or whatever. Yeah. The
0: Firestarter. Whatever Something it is like, like the rota they have for a rota. pyros. Yeah. Although I guess that's not as useful oh, for they're Fire not King Pyro, specifically. They? But and there's that new Xyz Monster. Mm-hmm. That oh, they got yeah, yeah that one's the uh, like flame. I can't princess, say the name maybe it. Or
1: that's it, flame princess. Something Wait, like is that. that yeah? That's the name. We're mixing. It's the a girl is- covered in fire, y'all. Y'all know what yeah, we're talking about. We're yeah. not crazy.
0: Basically, at any rate, there's a lot of fire support, and that's good. I think it's cool. Fire has long been a very, very severely under-supported like, attribute.
1: That, the entire attribute as a whole. The only bright spot for fire was Salamander
0: right yeah that was a dark right spot so so yeah uh that's coming out next week um and i think that's actually going to be the last product of 2024 unless i'm forgetting like maybe some ots pack or something but it might be something
1: more niche i don't know yeah
0: because we don't get the two-player deck until next year
1: valiant smash is definitely the last uh
0: set release so yep yeah i um oh so this is something that i didn't really get to talk about because we didn't do the podcast last week but i did sort of want to rant on it a little i really hate valiant smashers <laughs> i really don't like the set um i so it's not to be clear it's something like about the set itself right like i, I think it is be, about the set it it is and it isn't the archetypes whatever you can love them or you can hate them like if you like memento cool if you like you know, Centurion Cool. I don't personally find a lot of like interest in their aesthetics and stuff, but that does not apply to everyone. That's a strictly subjective thing. What I think is more uh, objectively a problem with it though is it's just much harsher on the pull rates than any other product. All of the Pure deck pain. builder sets are are so rough. So we opened a couple boxes of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you get on average three ultras in a box of these deck builder sets. And I just, what, like, how is that okay? More specifically, Every other set gives you more. Legendary Duelist sets, even Soul Burning Volcano. Talk as much trash about it as you want. gives you a lot of hollows in a box. When we
1: were finished pulling Soul Burning Volcano, we had decks.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can complete decks. And with, like, mainline sets, Duel Overload, um, or not Duel Overload, Duelist Nexus, um, like Age of Overload, like, you get, like, four ultras, two secrets in a box. Mm -hmm. Why is it that these deck builder sets are so stingy with the pull rates on a set that's already, like, very niche, Like, it's not going to appeal to everybody to begin with. And you can't, like, really build decks out of the deck build sets.
1: That's true. I have no idea how I'm going to complete Centurion. We pulled
0: two Centurion Ultras. Yeah, and it doesn't help, too, that, like, with stuff like Centurion, because it's, like, kind of a meta contender right now, and the pull rates on the decks are, like, or on the sets are, like, really rough, it becomes top-heavy. So if you want to build Centurion, the prices are really high, but you also can't rely on just pulling them from packs, So, what do, right? And even in the case of, like, um, Memento and, uh, what is it, Valmonica, they still suffer from the pull rate issue. I mean, at least they have a couple less ultras to worry about pulling.
1: And their ultras aren't worth, like, But it's still
0: hard to pull the cards. And so, what I've been thinking is, like, I mean, what's the solution to it? Like, I mean, like, a solution is... Like, a happy solution or a solution-solution? I mean, anything. What are you... What I mean, comes... you
1: buy singles and you suffer the consequences.
0: Oh, I meant, like, a fix from Konami. Oh! Fix was, the pull rates. I think I think double the pull rates and suddenly these the opening experience yeah. for these is suddenly, like, a lot more bearable. Like, or, or, I say, honestly, just, like, axe these deck build packs and just implement the archetypes into mainline sets or something. I
1: feel like they do need to fill more space in the main sets anyway. But I think konami might struggle with that since i don't there's only so much i know konami us can do and i don't know if they can actually um
0: make that change Make just a
1: huge change like that
0: they might be able to but i'm, I'm not sure i would like to see them try just because like man they this product like valiant smashers already kind of came out at a not great time when people were a little bit overwhelmed with products now, Age of Overlord, good set. We literally
1: hadn't finished putting away our Rarity Collection yeah. cards. Yeah, Age
0: of Overlord, good set. Rarity Collection, great set. The g- good selling sets with lots of good reprints and new cards, all that stuff. Then Valiant Smashers kind of comes along with its pissy pull rates, and, like, it's still asking you to try to, like, get these cards. And it's weird because it's the third deck builder pack this year, and they've never done three in a year. They usually do two.
1: That's it's actually insane. So they're,
0: like, just squeezing this calendar in with, like, products and I don't know that it that it couldn't have afforded to just wait. I mean You gotta get
1: as much Yu-Gi-Oh in before the holidays as possible. You got
0: I would never parents buy this as a gift for to, someone.
1: Parents don't know. parents well, yeah they, they might have know. absolutely they'll just no buy clue.
0: little Jimmy his Valiant Smashers box No, Oh they're not gonna buy him a box. Come on these are parents. Sorry it's like packs. You're gonna get three packs. Merry Christmas and pull nothing <laughs> Yeah horrible. it's it's and that's Oh that's so horrible. It's a tragedy. I mean, I think these these sets are highway robbery. And this is coming from somebody who I actually will defend most products. You know I will. Mm -hmm. Like, I usually, I'm a pretty strong proponent of, like. He's a a product stand. Something like that. I mean, I'm a strong proponent of, like, each product has something for everyone. Like, even the legendary duelist sets. Like, I think that, like, Soulburning Volcano was fun if you were into those products. And the pull rates were good enough that you could enjoy it.
1: That's true. I did not have a bad time pulling Soul Burning,
0: But, like, on the other hand, these deck build packs, they just, Nightmares. they're rough. And, like, maybe they'll, the, the archetypes will probably get better over time. You know, they get more Which support. is actually a bad thing. But it just doesn't change the fact that the, the opening experience is rough, and then they're going to end up at these card shops yeah. on these shelves yeah. collecting dust because you know how Yu-Gi-Oh! players are. And that's not, a, like, a mark against us. No one's going to buy a, a set that they're not interested in and one that's got bad pull rates. And then when your shop's like kind of invested in buying, you know, a case or two of, of the set and it's just sitting on the shelf and they can't sell it, then they're like, oh man, Yu-Gi-Oh players don't buy anything. Because I mean, in this set, I guess you're just hoping to pull a collector's rare. I feel like... That's about the only way that you can really... That's your only shot. Yeah. So that's kind of my little quick rant. I don't like the, the deck builder sets. I think they need to be pretty drastically reworked in some way. Um I'd love to hear if people... Agree, disagree? What their experience with Valiant Smashers was, if they even opened any at all.
1: That's fair. I, you know, that's <laughs> I mean, where I'll
0: say, well, maybe they opened then again. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you if you because we because uh, yeah, the
1: pack opening experience from Valiant Smashers it did not feel good. That the reprints me. were not, they weren't hit. Okay, that reminds me actually. Oh, well, he's digging. I don't know so what he's up. So
0: I got my pot collection. I'm just showing oh, look it look on it camera. I'm um, not going to open it or anything here on the podcast. I'm going to do a video opening it. But I figured since it's the pot of greed, I should probably talk about how I got my 25th anniversary pot collection. Look out for the video on the channel.
1: Soon. I didn't get one because I thought that they were in Japanese. And by the time I found out they weren't in Japanese, it was over.
0: Yeah, well, it's okay. I got an extra one. I'm going to do a little giveaway.
1: Oh, can I yeah, win it? Can I win it? First? Can I win it? I no. can't win it now that can't. they know. <laughs> <never> you <laughs> can't <win> hear <laughs> it. No,
0: no pot for you. Um, can I use an alt account and win it? So... uh is that all the Yu-Gi-Oh? that's all i have i that's honestly all?
1: didn't have much guys i was busy eating
0: <laughs> um all right well you got another story
1: yeah uh let's go Any with card this game stuff pokemon tcg story
0: oh fine so
1: pokemon tcg players custom proposal to girlfriend goes viral so yeah uh, okay i'm interested in this <laughs> I so Zach and Katie have been dating for 18 months. <laughs> Zach and Katie. Wait, they, well, it's, just... Zachary had it, I'm summarizing. Okay. His name okay. is Zachary, but I'm saying Zach and Katie, they've been dating for about 18 months. Right. And you know, that is prime territory to start popping the question or at least start thinking about it. Well, he, writ, he instead of proposing like a boring person, Zach decides to write his proposal on a Pokemon TCG card. And he gave it to his his then girlfriend to play at locals that day. To play at locals, to, yeah, because he get, he made he made a deck a Pokemon okay. deck, yeah, and he gave it to her to play at locals.
0: Oh, and so on one of the cards in the deck mm-hmm. is his like his proposal. written proposal. Like, well, you marry. Okay,
1: and I would show you the picture, Paul. because I expected something really grand. It actually wasn't grand. He he literally just kind of scribbled it in there on like with like a sharpie. Okay. On the on an energy card, will you marry me?
0: But um, Wait, is, there, is there a picture? There is a picture. I can show okay. it. To I'll, you. I'll add it on the podcast. I'll remember to add this one. I know people are always like, ah, the I pictures. I'll it I'll, in. Oh no! So they're opening the packs together. I thought you said you put it in a deck.
1: I thought it was in a deck. Is no, it in a pack?
0: It's in a pack. I think you resealed a pack, and so she's gonna open oh, the pack. It's an
1: opening experience. Yeah, so that makes okay. it even better. Uh, I get the article did not make it clear for me.
0: Yeah, he then made his proposal saying, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? She immediately accepted, joyously saying, I'm so happy. Yes, yes, I'll marry you. Um, even though the event took place in 2022, Pokemon fans are still loving this wholesome moment. I want to see the moment when she sees the card. Oh, look at there! Happened? Look at that. She just saw it. She's so happy.
1: Wow. I was... I was hoping that he wrote he wrote it on a very rare and expensive Pokemon card, but it was just a it was okay, basic like a basic energy card.
0: I mean, it's, I think it's better that way. Maybe it feels more natural, you know.
1: No, ruin a card's value forever.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll um I will we'll link to the video if you guys want to see it. But would you ever propose to your significant other by writing a proposal on a Yu Gi Oh card? Nope. Resealing a Mm-mm. pack
1: under no circumstances. Well, why not? Because my significant other would not be in a car shop. Wow.
0: Rude. I mean, hey, you never know. It's like Only never say I never. I should
1: be in that dungeon.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a nice, like, little heartwarming story. So I'm guessing they probably got married, like, this year, since that maybe happened last year. Probably.
1: Like. I wonder if they have a Pokemon wedding.
0: I think that would be the next logical It does thing. feel like the next step here. Yeah.
1: To get to his bride, he has to open her from a booster pack. <laughs> okay.
0: All right, here's a quick one. Um, Upper Deck reveals amazing Blizzard trading cards.
1: What do you mean? When you say Blizzard, like.
0: Yeah, so you might actually remember uh, a few months back, we did do a story where um, we were talking about how Upper Deck is going to be teaming with Blizzard to make some trading cards, and this is, in fact, a real thing.
1: I don't remember, actually. Well, Blizzard
0: releases some gorgeous trading cards in collaboration with renowned collectible TCG producer Upper Deck. Um. The Blizzard Legacy Collection base set includes 200 cards featuring exclusive collectibles like Parallels, Overwatch inserts, Hearthstone-themed mini cards, lenticular motion cards, and Diablo Horadric Cube Square die-cut cards.
1: So these these are literally collectible cards. It's not like a trading card game.
0: It's it's a new set of premium trading cards um, featuring characters from across the company's major franchises. These stunning collectors items are available now and are a must have for any Blizzard fan. So um,
1: yikes, the timing is horrible.
0: Yeah, they call them trading cards, which I guess means that you probably aren't meant to play them, but rather just collect them, have them. Um, they have different characters on the packs. Here's a quick look if you want. I'll also try to remember to add these in. But, but I like, still
1: played Overwatch. This would be more. Be yeah, this would be better. It's like me. an
0: Overwatch hero, I think. Yes, a Sojourn. This is somebody from World of.
1: It looks like Torbjorn from also from Overwatch.
0: Here's another character. No
1: idea who that is.
0: For Jaina. Jaina. Art of Samwise Jaina. Couldn't Blizzard tell you Blizzard Entertainment.
1: That's a fish.
0: This is some character from something. Yeah, so you know. I only knew
1: the Overwatch characters.
0: Yeah, there's a few. I think this is a World of Warcraft like these are World of Warcraft characters, like, aren't I, they?
1: I didn't play World of Warcraft. I Thunder don't know. Fury.
0: Uh You played a little bit of WoW, huh, Paul? Rexha- I played WoW a long time ago actually.
1: Which is that everyone did, except for me. Yeah,
0: I didn't play it for very long, but um so I guess they're doing some collectible cards. These sound like they would make for a pretty neat gift if these are actually out right now. Assuming they are? That,
1: that wouldn't be a bad gift. You have someone that's addicted to Overwatch or something, or WoW. There's or a lot like of WoW Wild or something players out like
0: there. that. Yeah, um, Hearth, oh, Hearthstone, I think, is what they...
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, WoW, I Hearthstone, think so. and Overwatch. I and feel like War- those are... Okay, the it's
0: Diablo, go. Overwatch, StarCraft, and WarCraft. Oh,
1: yeah, Diablo. So I always forget about Diablo.
0: Yeah, Diablo's the one kind of the, the evil... I know there's, like, the, the evil princess that's, like, that's what I see on the...
1: I don't know what you're talking about. I don't either.
0: <laughs> but, anyways, there's the Blizzard Legacy Collection from Upper Deck. Um, I'm trying to find out how much these cost. Oh, okay. Players can buy seven-pack blaster boxes. Not blister boxes. Blaster boxes. Blaster Of box. the Blizzard Legacy Collection via the Upper Deck website for $25 before tax and shipping. So, the base set has 200 cards. Wait a second. What? Seven, oh, okay, sorry. So, you get seven packs for $25. Right. Okay, for a second I thought it was like seven card packs for $25. And I was going to be like, that's crazy. <laughs> that's like that Commander Masters pack thing where those were like $20. How many cards per pack, though? It well, doesn't I, say. It's about to be three, y'all. Uh, it's going to
1: be if three, three, like, uh, three, uh, though, three If it's like three, though. three cards. I, that's, that's pure blizzard, baby.
0: Yeah, I don't... It doesn't... Say say or at least i'm not seeing it but the point is
1: the info is out there somewhere
0: yeah the info is out there somewhere you can do your own research you guys let us know you guys can maybe pick this up if you think it's something worth grabbing i might it'd be funny if the cards came in loot boxes it would be on brand wouldn't it (laughs) (laughs) it would be on brand huh okay cool um any other card game stories
1: yeah uh here we go so this is one of those kind of BS articles Uh-oh. where they take a Reddit post is and this they make it into comic book resources it. or whatever? No, this is Dexterito. They're also good for that. Okay, was so, yeah, like um, a step above. So it says Pokemon fan discovers New York Times inaccurate TCG value predictions. So a Reddit user was going through his old things when he, when he discovered a Pokemon newspaper clipping, a value guide, and a movie poster with some wild market prices from 1999 that didn't stand the test of time. Oh.
0: oh, so this is like some old history. Yeah.
1: So this is, uh, the Reddit user is Hayate4468, because I guess they have to credit the Reddit user who made
0: it. Yeah, I mean, if you're posts. recycling Reddit post for you might as news well, content right? on your site, you might as well at least give them credit for it.
1: So... Alongside a Pokemon TCG card guide, the Redditor revealed a Pokemon the First Movie newspaper advertisement. They also share a hilarious New York Times article from 99 with some warnings for young trading card investors.
0: Oh, warnings. I, this, i actually kind of, I want to hear what their warnings were for, well, here we go. for so, the young investors.
1: <laughs> the New York Times article from 99 attempts to teach young readers the importance of selling high in a bubble in the wake of the 1999 2000 market crash. Oh. For a lot of our viewers, you were actually alive back then. Um okay? okay uh, the, the kids who play Pokemon now, they have no idea what that is. Yeah. <laughs> it cites that Pokemon cards have sold for as much as $375 during a bubble. They're saying, and I guess they're talking about selling high, so they're saying sell your cards now for $375 if they only knew. Yeah. It says... Okay, 11-year-old Mike Loprit was interviewed during this segment. So they, they they have a quote. I should have sold. I could have had three times what I
0: paid for them. What is them? Like, do, they, so do we know what the cards are? I guess are? Mike
1: Loprit, we, we don't know the exact cards that the, uh, Mike was talking about, but Mike, I guess, believed that they, as an 11-year-old was saying, I wish I had sold my cards before the bubble burst in 2000
0: does this feel a little <laughs> okay so basically so my understanding is that this is an article where they're like kind of just talking interviewing people who made or lost money on yes pokemon cards at like the year 2000 basically
1: mm-hmm.
0: i have another and one, one. Of, okay go ahead
1: collectors who held their cards too long have lost hundreds in paper profits Bubbles will inevitably burst, continues the news article, invoking the 17th century tulip mania bubble. I'm not sure what that. I'm not sure what that bubble is, but yeah. Uh, and so this article is saying you should sell your Pokemon cards now
0: while they have val- value. Okay, interesting. And this is in like what the New York Times. New York or? Times, New York Times 1999. 1999. Okay, wow. That's interesting. I I guess it's cool to see like Pokemon cards getting even like a mention that early on in like the New York Times. If you think about it, because that's how big Pokemon been, was. Would, like the cartoon went only like a couple years old. Yeah, but Pokemon was huge. Hmm. It was the TCG. There's something a bit dystopian though about like the eleven year old part. Like oh, eleven year old, you know Timmy or whatever. Like regrets not selling sooner. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> Should an eleven year old really like be that in tune with like the, the market, market of of these trading cards? Well maybe
1: they should have, because in Hayate's Collector's Value Guide at 1999, it said the value of a base set a base set Charizard was two hundred and twenty five dollars. Okay. And remember, they should be selling them now because the bubble's gonna burst. So you should sell your base set Charizard, which for now PSA graded can go for like six k.
0: Yeah, up to like five digits, I think. Even
1: at least the one that they were looking at in this case would be worth
0: six thousand dollars.
1: But no, no, sell it for two twenty five.
0: Yeah, it's kind of. I'd be sick. It's (laughs) so funny when you think about it, though. Like. They're part of the reason why these cards, like these Charizards, like base set Charizard, right? Or an LOB Blue Eyes, that sort of thing for the Yu-Gi-Oh equivalent. Part of the reason why the value is what it is is because we there was a time when we didn't know what the value was. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like how I mean, we might have talked about it in this podcast before, like a card like 10,000 Dragon can only really be like artificially valuable right. in the sense that it's new and like they're kind of telling you that like oh there's only so many in the world or whatever so 10,000th card but with like a blue eyes white dragon or a base set charizard if you pulled it as a kid and you were nine or whatever there was no promise that it would be worth anything its value to you was just yours alone you know what i mean yeah and when you look at it that way it really kind of paints a picture of why like they're worth what they are. Because for most kids, those wouldn't have been in sleeves or even maybe a binder. <laughs> they would have been in a pocket damaged. and then in a washing machine. And or on or on the concrete or the dirt.
1: Oh not the concrete. Right?
0: And so for most people who had them, they're like playing them in their deck, playing a game they probably barely even knew how to play, and the cards got damaged and destroyed. Or maybe they're in, in best case scenario, they might be like in an old binder or shoebox, still in not great condition. So, a lot of the value comes from the fact that people at that time didn't know that they were worth a lot. So, like, when I see these articles, it is funny that they're saying, like, yeah, you know, hurry, sell and get, like, $200 for it. Or you could just wait 20 years and get, like, you know, 50 billion times that. Get a
1: real bag.
0: But it's, it is... I guess, I don't know, it's just like a fun insight into what life was like at that time. Mm -hmm. Like, the same cards existed, they were just perceived so differently. They were like,
1: the bubble's gonna pop, guys, the bubble!
0: Yeah, the bubble's (laughs) gonna pop. I mean, well, we are still hearing those sorts of terms thrown around even today. It's just in a bigger scope. That's true.
1: There's way more money in this pot now than in 1999. Yeah, I... And that's across all TCGs, really.
0: Yeah. Do, I mean, do you think that we'll ever, like, kind of see that sort of thing again? Like, the idea of a card game that you don't know. Like, it's like a, a cult phenomenon at its infancy type of moment. Like, a Pokemon card or Yu-Gi-Oh card would have been in 1999, yes. 2000, 2001.
1: We, I think we'll definitely see it again.
0: But we, as in you and I and many of our viewers, we won't actually notice it. Yeah, you shouldn't know it for what it is. Because Mm -hmm. that's where, therein lies the value is the fact that you didn't recognize it for what it is. It's like, uh, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, they
1: will be the, they will decide what their new cult classic Classic. will be. Yeah. It could be Minecraft, NFTs, it could be, um, uh, what did Gen Z like? Um, not the beatomons but the the uh the, the 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 ones you roll bakugan yeah it could be bakugan for okay, like gen z like we'll well, we I, don't I, I know get what right? you're, saying, you're <laughs> saying
0: no yeah that, that that's true i think like for a lot of people it's the appeal is that we didn't know mm-hmm. so i guess even us on this podcast talking about it means like we like we can't know we can't know yeah. what it is until it until like 10, 15, 20 years down the line when it's Could be gone a Five and... Nights
1: at Freddy's something or another.
0: Yeah. I don't actually know anything about the franchise. So let me know. So, um, okay, well, I've got a more sort of sad card game story.
1: I'm ready to cry.
0: Yeah. Um, Marvel Snap Publisher faces reports of shutdown, though devs assure players the card game will, quote, continue to operate. So, Hmm. The parent company of Marvel Snap's developer may be shutting down entirely. Earlier today, or today in this case being November 27th, Reuters reported that ByteDance was restructuring its gaming company NuVerse in what was being described as a retreat from the gaming industry. Four people familiar with the matter told the outlet that ByteDance would look to wind down the NuVerse gaming brand. Oh. You might not have heard of NuVerse, but you probably have heard of Marvel Snap. NuVerse is the publisher behind Marvel Snap, while the actual developer of the game is itself is Second Dinner, interesting name for a studio. Yeah, I've heard studio the name. formed by former Hearthstone <laughs> developers like Ben Brode. Uh, so, New Versus formed back in 2019 was widely seen as ByteDance's big push in the gaming industry at large. According to the Reuters report, although Marvel Snap has been something of a cult hit for New Versus and ByteDance, it hasn't been a commercial hit for either. Uh, this apparently leaves New Versus' performance since 2019 quote patchy. Which is likely to be a large factor in ByteDance's alleged decision to step away from the game from gaming and shutter its whole division. Right now, though, there's been no confirmation from ByteDance or Newverse of the plans that were reported by Reuters. So, um, mm. yeah, I already kind of knows so, about Marvel Snap. Like that's that was I thought Marvel Snap was popular. I mean, at least Marvel, we know Marvel
1: Snap at least was popular. I haven't really kept up with um, how Marvel Snap is performing right now.
0: Yeah, I know Trell played it. You played it for a yeah, bit. Yeah, I played um, it. I've seen Trell play it.
1: And I still do see ads for Marvel Snap. Yeah, I see ads. But I it. don't know if Marvel Snap is as popular as when the kind of Marvel Snap
0: boom happened. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Now, the developers' second dinner have reassured players of the digital card game that it will continue to, quote, operate and flourish in the future in the wake of these reports. So, um...
1: I mean, they kind of have to say that. Like,
0: they they technically have to say that. They said this on Twitter. Yeah, some of our... Dear Snappers...
1: They're called Snappers, y'all.
0: Dear Snappers, some of our players have expressed their concerns regarding reported structural changes at Newverse. We wish to thank you for your concern and assure you that regardless of any changes at Newverse, Snap will continue to operate and flourish in the future.
1: Not necessarily, though, because we don't know the contracts there, but if Newverse claims complete ownership of Marvel Snap and they just want to shut everything down, there's no recourse. Now, their contracts might not work that way, but... um, Maybe some other company can like
0: buy it and maintain it. I don't know how that works.
1: I feel... just i guess it all depends on like how profitable marvel snap has been if it's something they could sell i feel like that would be best
0: yeah i don't okay so maybe somebody in the comments can um you know sort of help better inform us of this is marvel snap like a i know it's got like paid transaction sort of stuff in there it does so is it like one of those games that like is making a lot of money i feel like i've read stories about it being Fairly profitable. I don't
1: know any. It's been so long since I really followed Marvel Snap. I have no idea.
0: And I guess that alone isn't even enough, right? Like yeah. it's not enough to just be profitable in today's.
1: And they're you know. talking. And Newverse talking about restructuring their entire gaming segment. So even if Marvel Snap is making money, is it making enough money to power their entire gaming division? Which right, yeah, because I'm guessing that not. there's
0: probably a lot of other games that they've published that aren't making lots of money, and maybe Marvel Snap was just kind of covering their backs because it could make enough to sort of, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? It, it can,
1: I mean, it can cover their losses in a sense.
0: Yeah, that, that, there's a word I had, but at any rate, yeah. Um, hopefully Marvel Snap doesn't have to go. I mean, I think that the game looked really great, ran really great. It just looked nice, so I, I would hate to see it. It's it was such a good attempt
1: into the digital card gaming space. It would be a shame to see it go, especially since much worse alternatives exist and still continue to exist. So
0: yeah, that's true. Um, what comes to mind? You I'm not saying of that, I'm that not that gonna say game? It. I'm not gonna say it. Are you you're talking about DC Duo or yep. whatever? Can, yep, that's. Well, what. I I saw something about that game recently. What you see? What you see? I don't know what it was though. See, exactly. <laughs> I guess that exactly. explains it. But no, like, I remember I saw a a story about. It is called, it's called DC Duel. DC Duel. Something like that. Yeah, DC Duel. And it's dual as in like... It's like a play on... Because you use two so you used heroes. Two, so D-U-A-L. Yeah. Um, cool. I, I mean, you know. I hope that... I don't like seeing games like this go. We've already had to witness the loss of like Cross Duel. And that's D-U-E-L
1: in case you're keeping up. Which
0: I'm going to just go ahead and say I think Cross Duel. They they, they royally. Fucked up with that game. <laughs> I mean, Marvel Snap was good and people liked it. Cross Duel was awkward and had promise, but just seemed so mismarketed and like, you know.
1: A lot a lot was off target with Cross Duel.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: but it wasn't without heart and not and not without merit, just didn't land. It didn't stick the landing.
0: Yeah, so uh, hopefully maybe these are just rumors and reports and they won't even come to fruition and Marvel Snap will get to exist uh for years Infinity. to come. but it is a good warning that remember with all of your digital games they that can, stuff does have to end yeah a lot of those games could go at any moment I mean, all of them could go at any moment and That's will why eventually it's
1: important to physically invest in your mobile gaming
0: addictions yeah so um wait what <laughs> to physically
1: invest in them to have some type of physical
0: Oh yeah, parts that's true. Of
1: the franchise, I always do that. Though it costs, but I think it's worth it. Subsidized—that was the word. Subsidized. Yeah,
0: Marvel Snap can subsidize um, other, maybe less successful games. Put
1: that NBA to work.
0: Yeah, I've learned a word. I learned a word. <laughs> <laughs> learned a word. Uh, okay, so cool. Um, I have other Marvel news. If you no. want to just go into something that feels related, but do uh, you have any other card games things? Uh, no things? no more card gaming No more card game? Okay, well. I got a couple Marvel stories. Oh god. Yeah, I got a few Marvel stories. Um <sighs> I have three. And I guess they're all they're they're small but like somewhat closely related. Okay, go for it. So uh and one like vanished. I'll have to find it. But um They deleted it. So Loki creator Michael Waldron to write Marvel Studios Avengers Kang Dynasty. So this is like one of the more positive pieces of news. Yeah, uh, Loki season two, you know, that recently ended mm-hmm. and um, we never got a chance to really talk about it too much in the podcast because no, we, we kind of skipped last week, but um, I thought Loki season two was pretty cool. It was nice. Um, it seems like generally speaking, Loki is one of the better received overall of like those Disney plus Marvel shows. While Michael Waldron is the writer for these Loki seasons, I suppose he Wrote Season 2 and was a showrunner for Season 1. Um, he also wrote Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness. And so, um, he's going to be writing the Avengers Kang Dynasty movie. A lot of people see this as a bit of a ray of hope. It you know? actually
1: does bode well for the Kang Dynasty movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone who worked closely on these t- these two specific projects. That, bo- that both we all we all want them to lead to this whole Kang Dynasty thing and make it make sense. Well, they couldn't have picked a better person because he worked on the Multiverse of Madness and Loki, two kind of time traveling, dimension happy narratives. Someone it feels like he can bring it all together.
0: Yeah, so um, Kang Dynasty is going to be kicking off summer 2026. Am I even gonna live that long? Good question. Um yeah, it's going to be releasing on May 1st, 2026, which I suppose means that they are going through with the Kang thing. Well, maybe cuz
1: some people theorize that they're just going to like ru- like they're just going to end Kang with the Kang Dynasty and yeah. not try and build it up into the whole Thanos level event. Some people th- some people think that um they are completely like Whatever they originally had planned for Kang Dynasty is completely out the window now. Yeah. So like we don't know. We we just don't know. We don't know.
0: So here's um here's also a quote from Chris Evans. So Chris Evans addresses rumors of Avengers team reuniting for new Marvel projects. Oh, who's Chris Evans? Captain America. Okay, good. Just second. Yeah. Second. At the, at the check. I know him more at- so for Knives Out. <laughs> it's one of my one of my favorite movies. I was going for your Marvel card, but you could keep it this time. If you heard through the grapevine that the original cast of Marvel's Avengers are preparing to assemble again, which we have heard through the grapevine, everyone says Kevin Feige will I didn't hear bring that. people back. From oh, the I guess dead so. if we did he hear some to. of that. Um, while appearing on The View on Monday, the actor, okay, well, if you've heard about that through the grapevine that they will assemble again, Chris Evans has some bad news for you. Oh, he's shutting it down. Yeah, while appearing on The View on Monday, the actor dispelled the rumors that Marvel Studios is getting the superpowered gang back together for another cinematic project. Here's his quote. You know, I always see these reports too, and it's news to me, Evans, 42, who starred as the moral compass Steve Rogers or Captain America for nearly a decade, told the show's hosts. Um, he added, I think every couple months someone says that they're getting uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth and Scarlett Johansson, and everyone's coming back. Well, no one's spoken to me about it. So Maybe they're just done with you, Chris. Like Maybe the MCU says we don't need you anymore. Maybe they yeah.
1: called everybody but him, and he's just finding out about it now.
0: Now, Evans went on to admit that he would, quote, never say never to suiting up again, but the role would uh, have to be pretty much perfect for him to return. He says, I'm very protective. Um, it's a very precious role to me, so it would have to be just right. Which, to me, kind of suggests that like he's not in, he would not be super into the whole, like, we're just back from the dead for our cash grab sort of thing. I mean,
1: many actors actually do have pride. I know the MCU will have will confuse people but you know actors actually do have pride in the roles that they perform and the work that they've done and they actually don't love the idea of making a narrative travesty just to make money
0: yeah i think it's kind of one of these things where marvel we know that they will try to kind of whore out a character they'll do what they got to do to get a sale and all that stuff um I'm glad to hear him say this though, because I think that like fans can get so like and this happens, this isn't just a marble thing, but like this is everything. Like fans can really we can convince ourselves that something's true because we hear so many rumors and like there buzz. Are a lot of it's, rumors. Like, like if you've been in the video game space, you'll know like the Switch HD or the Switch 4K or the Switch Pro or whatever is gonna happen this year, guys. It's gonna happen this year, guys, it's gonna happen this year, guys. And like we've heard that for the last like three, four years. It's coming, yeah, all Just it's coming, just, yeah. Nintendo's doing it. And so, like, what will end up happening is, like, fans will convince themselves that these things are, like, true and definitely real. And then, like, when they don't happen or when they're very underwhelming or it's, like, less than kind of what was anticipated, people are angry at the company or they're angry at the system or something. But I think... It was never promised. Yeah, nothing's ever, like, really promised, so... And
1: you have to ask yourself, is this what you really want? Now, with the Switch thing, that's a little bit different. But I do think, as far as the original Avengers cast goes... Do you actually want to watch Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Hemsworth, uh, Scarlett Johansson? Do you really want to see them all on screen again, reprising their roles after they have been dropped off in different timelines, killed, uh, had his clothes ripped off in an unceremonious movie that we just won't talk about that I enjoyed but
0: no one else did? Do, Do we really want This, yeah, I mean, what do you think? Like, as because given that you watched more of those Marvel movies, I think in the early 2010s period and stuff than I I did, did. would you want these characters back? No, and that's not to say that I didn't enjoy them.
1: I actually loved them, and every one of those actors, I think they put their heart and souls into those characters, and that's why they should never return. Yeah, you think like
0: they they've reached? They did a great job. Conclusions and.
1: Anything more can only make it worse. It can, it can't even stay the same, right? Because mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, Tony Stark died. If yeah. you bring that back, it only gets worse. <laughs> yeah,
0: I um, I I agree. I think that. I know, like Marvels, they're having it rough right now. Like, you know, the news wants to say that they're failing at everything, and like, you know, the 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 Marvels movie did not do super well. Everyone Although I've talked did, to
1: about the Marvels, mm-hmm. had if they saw it, they liked it. But that's the only, but the only other
0: um, response I've gotten is I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, or I don't like really care about it. Yeah. I want to talk about that in a bit because uh, I got to see the we saw it actually at Anime M mm-hmm. I um, C. We just went to, just through the theater and saw it. Um, so I do want to like kind of talk about this, the movie a bit, but regarding like this story and stuff, I don't think I want to see those old Avengers back. Like, I, I think it's nice that they would. Let's not get, call them
1: the old Avengers. Let's call them the original. Yeah, the original Avengers. Avengers. That's probably yeah. a bit
0: better. I think that they did a great thing for the franchise. And, like, I see why people obviously really like them a lot. I just... I, I'm just... I'm, I'm not a big fan of, like, letting things, like, end to some degree. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that, like, their the ripples can't still be felt. Or that they can't kind of be referenced and stuff. Like, people still, like, oh, Stark Industries still, like, was a thing in the Marvel Universe. Right. But, yeah. And I also... I like the point that you added. I don't think I'd want them, like... Just thrown into the multiversal soup. That is Marvel phase, it's kind of 4 or 5, whatever right now, where it's just...
1: <sighs> I just don't want another Multiverse of Madness situation where they bring out a bunch of beloved characters just for Wanda to unceremoniously murder all of them. Like, it was a cool scene or whatever, but like...
0: It does feel like it's band service and then just weird. They're just kind of killed. So, yeah. I don't know what that's.
1: Like, I, 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 it didn't sit right with me all the way. It just didn't. And that's not saying that. Like, she I... melted Black Bolt's mouth. You know what? I do want to talk about it. Wanda melted Black Bolt's mouth. That is so sick. That is so. Or.
0: <sighs> yeah. Not, not your favorite thing. My only problem with that scene was that I, A, they were just placed there to be killed. Like, yes, unceremoniously killed, and B. I, I never really got an idea of like how Wanda's powers were defined, other than she just kind of thinks it, and you're dead. Which, like, if that was if her power was that she can think something and then you die, and maybe they set some like kind of what are the rules around that? It might have been an interesting thing, but instead, it just kind of seems like yeah, I just kind of think about it, and your head explodes. So it's
1: it it's the biggest kind of um, open door in like Marvel.
0: It's reality changing magic. So, you might be wondering, Alec. I'm not. How could Marvel regain in game level hype? Things seem to be going so badly right now.
1: This must be a different story.
0: It is. Okay. Thankfully, Miss Marvel star Iman Vellani shares her thoughts on how the MCU can regain in game level hype. Take note. Okay.
1: All right. So yeah,
0: this is the Miss Marvel actress. Um, a character, by the way, that I might like. You know, I saw the Marvel. She was she was good in that. Uh, so, yeah, she has... Oh, a ne- just to
1: dispel the rumor, guys, you can actually watch the Marvels without having watched the Miss Marvel TV show. I know some people didn't watch it, and that's one of the reasons why they not want to see the Marvels. It's okay. You don't have to see it.
0: Yeah, so speaking to the direct, Villani suggested Marvel needs to focus on its current rosters of characters in order to generate the same buzz and excitement around upcoming MCU events that past releases have managed to achieve, claiming they could establish something similar to the next Avengers through different team-ups. So here's her quote. I don't know if it's about just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because then, like, what's left, uh, Lonnie considered. I think it's just about making the audience care about their characters. And I think they've established so many wonderful characters in the last phase of the MCU, that it would be nice to see them all again and see them team up. She ended this train of, or continued this train of thought, adding, I think because there are so many new characters people want to, like, start shipping people together and be like, oh, seeing Kamala and, like, the Red Guardian together. Like, imagining all these pair-ups, and I think that would definitely pay off. It would be like, you know, the next Avengers. So, um... I don't know if the
1: Red Guardian makes the Avengers.
0: I have no clue who that even is. Black
1: Widow. Well, he, he's in the Black Widow
0: movie. Okay, yeah, so... Um, the Marvels, which sees Villani team up with Tiana Paris's Monica Rambeau and Brie Larson's Carol Denvers continue the MCU's downward trajectory by nabbing the worst-ever opening earlier this month with $47 million no doubt impacted by the lack of a press tour with the then-ongoing actor's strike. Um, so, yeah. That, this is her take on it. Mm. How do you feel about it? Do you think that she's got just has she's
1: some pretty, She's right. Um, Marvel's focused on the Dragon Ball Z style of storytelling where whatever you do last season, you have to do something even bigger the next season. Mm-hmm. Frieza was stronger than Vegeta, who was stronger than Raditz, but Cell was stronger than Frieza, and Boo was stronger than Cell. And so, you know, so we went Super Saiyan, one, two, three, you know, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point, you just run out of narrative, like, space to, like, yep. make something bigger. And they already went fairly large with the endgame Thanos story that was he snapped half of existence away. Like, that's... I think that, yeah. It's hard to get bigger than that. And so I like the idea of instead focusing on just a new cast of characters trying to honestly garner fan engagement and interest. Mm -hmm. In much the way we did with the original uh, MCU run with Iron Man, Captain America, uh, the, the Avengers promise was just like a... It was like a trickle in the back of our minds that it could happen. It wasn't this guaranteed thing that we just yeah, knew we were working
0: towards. I agree. I, I think I like her point too about um, I think you, it's, it's got to be about the characters. I, I think that the vibe I get from Marvel and I think, oh, so before I even say that, I think I have kind of figured out where I stand with Marvel. Okay. I am now what I would consider a Marvel MCU like fan. fan MCU bro! I'm, I'm an MCU bro. Uh, I'm a fan in the sense that I have liked a lot of what I've watched over the past couple of years, and I do want them to succeed. So, to be clear, I'm not, like... Even though I am a little exasperated with a lot of the recent material, it is not in such a way that I'm hate-watching it or, like, you know... I love, like, tearing them down and watching these stories of, like, worse and worse performance and, like, box offices and stuff. I want to see them pull it together. So... That's kind of where I'm coming from with this. I think that it is better when you have shows that are more about, like, getting to know the characters and really beginning to like the characters. Mm-hmm. It's why I liked so many of, the, like, the Marvel Netflix shows. A, they were more ground level. B, they were so character-driven, like, personal story-driven. Yeah. I think what I see a lot in, like, a lot of these the movies and stuff that have happened recently is, like, they're kind of taking these established worlds and trying to, like, open them up more and more and more and, like, add more and more stuff to, like, the Wakanda story, right? Add more stuff to you know, like the Thor story and the multiverse of madness, and like the Ant Man Quantum Mania one. Yeah, where it's like here's the quantum realm, and it's like there's so much. But in reality, I think when I watch those, I find myself not being able to connect too much with the characters anymore.
1: I mean, they don't even uh, they don't give the characters their due anymore because of the wa- the width of these phases. Marvel puts out like one project with one group of characters and another project with another group of characters, and it keeps going. But we haven't seen Shang Chi since his since his movie came out, and that was twenty. Yeah, that was like 2019. Was that, was that 2019? Yeah, that was a while ago. We haven't seen the character, so anyone who saw the movie has basically forgotten about him, and the people who didn't see the movie, uh, they 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 have no reason to ever do it because it's. Marvel doesn't yeah. seem to or the MCU doesn't seem to be in a hurry to make us care about Shang-Chi. And I feel like any character introduced within this phase and maybe even the next phase afterwards is gonna suffer the same fate.
0: Yeah, so I I would like to see just a few team ups um and things like that. But just... Simple
1: team ups. Yeah, we don't need them... an Avengers event already.
0: Yeah, kinda keep it simple. That would be cool. And obviously I get it, like we're just two more Marvel heads. Pretending we know what would be the perfect solution for you know the multi-billion-dollar franchise. The perfect solution is already in the comics. Y'all just gotta read them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I think she rated some really good points here. I also think it's a great time then to get your thoughts on what you thought of Loki season two and also uh, the Marvels because we oh finished oh yeah both. okay
1: uh, so Loki season two uh, I pretty much hated it. Mm-hmm. Um. Early on. That's not a joke. I did. I was very upset with season two. Why? To be clear, I was a big fan of season one. Uh, season two starts off as Loki's trip through time. Mm-hmm. And the story is not about him at all. Mm-hmm. It's about the TVA. And it's a bunch of time nonsense. And I've gone on record multiple times saying I can't stand time travel. It's my least favorite uh, storytelling, device. storytelling device that you can introduce into a world and I knew what I was getting into with the Loki series but season 2 took it up to an 11 and when Loki took a back seat in his own TV show for a while I was upset however in the uh, the last two episodes I felt I was like okay I'm finally getting what I wanted out of a Loki show it went back to being about him Yeah, that's what I wanted it was called Loki I didn't care about the TVA that much like, you know, you can put, uh, you can put, uh, was it Luke Wilson on screen? I, it's cool, but <laughs> I'm here for Loki. And so while it did end well, and I, at the end I felt very satisfied at first, I was like, almost, yeah. almost hate
0: watching season two. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Same for me for the most part. Um, I mean, I don't mind like time travel stories too much. I, I think that it's... I find them more, I think it's, I prefer when they're kept simple, um, um, I'm obviously very biased, but I like little things like the like Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, right? Just kind of these simple little like closed loop time stories. Mm-hmm. They went back a couple hours, they did stuff, and it changed the future, but it actually didn't change anything because it, it all had happened anyway. Like kind of, like simple things like that. I don't really I've always found it kind of funny when like characters can just hop through time like it's like an address on a street type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're looking for this character and we just kind of happen to go to the exact Time and place and, like, year or whatever that they would be when they would be there. It's like that... I always find that very, like... I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and, like, just kind hey, of watch anyway. They had anyway. time GPS. But, yeah, it's like, how did you have, like, time GPS? That's very... But anyways, yeah, I found that the... So I hadn't seen Loki season one, so I was, I was watching from a very awkward place. I didn't know who any of these characters were. I wouldn't have... Missed happened. out on the best part. But um, I did hear, like, great things about season one. I enjoyed watching season two. I liked the... I love the aesthetic of the show, that kind of 1960s, 70s, like, office kind of look and, like, feel and just the the very analog nature of everything, mm-hmm. like the sets and the the props and stuff. Just everything had a very, like, old-fashioned analog feel. Color grading felt very uh, very cinematic, just presentation, compared to some of the other, like, Disney Plus shows. And so I liked all of that, but like you, I found that the early episodes, it just felt like Loki was just, following along, like with the TVA's troubles, but like, it's just like, yeah, it didn't really feel like a Loki story. just like, Oh, I guess he just has to help find this person or just help do the whatever. He couldn't even use his powers for a lot of it. But I agree that in the latter uh, half of it, it it picked up, it kind of became more about him. I liked that it became about like his loneliness and him wanting to be like with his friends and rescue them for that reason, not just because time and the multiverse and all that stuff would go crazy. It was more about him again. Right. And so I think that it actually ended up ending on a very good note. Um, And it seems like that's kind of a conclusion to the story. So I was happy with it. But I agree. I think the first half had me just kind of, like, glazed over a little bit. I was like, I don't – this time travel stuff, I'm I'm not too into it. Wasn't a
1: fan. Never will be.
0: But I still will say, when by the time it ended, I I'm a fan. Like, I'm definitely team. You know, I get why people like Loki. I get why people think of it as one of the better – Disney no, you don't get it. To you see season one. I do. It kind of makes me want to go back and season watch one, season man. one. So, and certainly, I liked it better. And it's okay
1: to watch it out of order because time nonsense.
0: I and I will say I uh, I liked it a hell of a lot better than Secret Invasion. That was, I don't talk about that. That was probably my least favorite. Thing. We don't
1: talk about season, uh, Secret Invasion here. What about the Marvels? Oh, the Marvels is great. The Marvels is a great movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm a, I like Brie Larson. So I was gonna see it one way or another. Mm-hmm. I still ended up not watching it opening weekend. I guess when you don't promote a movie, it just doesn't really stick it's in, not to like your head. but I knew I was gonna see the movie and I saw it and I was actually like more than impressed with it. It wasn't just that, oh, I like anything Brie Larson's in. I actually
0: thought it was just one of the best MCU movies I'd seen in a while. I felt like what I liked about it was that it was just pretty self contained it um i know so going into it i know a lot of people don't care for like brie larson's a feminist and i hate her for that or whatever you know that like the popular thing that i hear a lot but like truthfully i didn't find that this was like one of those shows that seemed like it was shoving any agenda at you Mm -hmm. like you know like people gave uh what was she hulk got a lot of like flack for like the first episode where she's like you know explaining this or whatever to to the Hulk and people are mad oh, yeah. and that whole thing.
1: Oh, or the infamous uh, Avengers scene where all of the uh, the women, the female Avengers, where they or all they all make their kind of uh, their united front against Thanos's uh, minions. Yeah, see, I'm not a fan it's of very heavy-handed. Yeah, messaging. for me, I'm, I'm
0: not a fan of like kind of like kind of shoehorning in the messaging. I like it when the characters are just good on their own. You know, merits. And you know, stuff. when they're
1: people and not symbols.
0: Yeah, people and not symbols for like things that you kind of are or aren't supposed to think about them. Um, so I went into it just being like, okay, I just want to see what this movie is about. I hadn't even seen the first like, you know, Captain Marvel movie or whatever. So. And you really didn't have to. Yeah, I didn't feel like I really needed to, but I enjoyed this movie as well. I found that it, it told a pretty. A, a story that felt relatively self contained. Mm-hmm. I think that it helped to humanize Brie Larson. She always, I know, to me, kind of came across as a little unapproachable
1: and if you had seen the first captain marvel movie that would not dissuade you
0: yeah and so i think that having um you know the miss marvel character and um also the captain rambo character i think is having a team helped to humanize her a bit for me and the movie was also kind of short compared to most marvel movies it was like an hour 40 45 minutes yeah
1: we're used to these two hour slogs but um yeah it was uh it was compact it was a great introduction to uh Miss Marvel, though I still think you should watch the first episode of the Miss Marvel T V show just so that you can actually vibe. truly understand Kamala Khan. But that was it was a good uh, as far as cinematically, it was a great introduction to that character. Uh Monica Rambo's character. Um we hadn't seen her since uh WandaVision. Mm-hmm. And so this was a great chance to see what she could do and what she herself was like in a um in a, in a more controlled scenario, because in WandaVision, she was she wasn't like she had no almost no agency and she was a side character. Here she got a main role, so it was actually not really nice to see. And then I didn't expect for the three characters to work as well together on screen as they did.
0: Yeah, I like their training montage. It felt very anime. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool. I like the action sequences. Like, kind of three characters teaming up and fighting is something that I don't think that Marvel actually does enough. Like I know, one of the most iconic fight scenes is from um, Civil War, uh, where it's uh, it's like Captain America and the guy with the fist. I don't Winter Soldier or whatever, yeah. and they're teaming up against Iron Man. And like everybody, I see people and like they beat and the they mess of out, beat my the boy. mess out of him. Yeah, but like I I like seeing a like choreographed team fights. Mm-hmm. I think when they're done well, they just they get me really hyped. Like nothing else can. It's like the
1: Guardians of the Galaxy,
0: and it kind of feels like a, a very anime fight. And so I think that's really cool. I think that this show this movie handled action well. There were some funny things. Yeah. Like the kittens and the the the, <laughs> the 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 nation of people who like oh the cats communicate in song. Like I don't know, it felt like watching a Marvel movie kind of back in like early 2010s. Kind of just where things still felt kind of new and different and like exciting and it didn't feel like they didn't spin the whole movie talking about the multiverse mm. and you know I don't know. I I I liked it. I think it was nice.
1: It, it, it felt like a, uh, almost like a breath of fresh air. I want to say it might actually be my favorite movie of this phase mm-hmm. just because it just didn't feel like it was mired down by lots and lots of world building BS.
0: Yeah. And like pretense for like other Marvel multiversal things. Though so it
1: still had that post credit scene.
0: I know people have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, I, so, I mean, I guess what I would say about the the Marvels is it's a shame to see it not doing very well. I hope that people, you know, like, I would say go see it. Like, if you have just some friends or whatever and you just are maybe passively interested in Marvel stuff, set aside your, like, I hate Brie Larson or whatever things and just kind of go and see it. It's, it's a fun, I think it could be, like, a fun Friday night, Saturday night a little big movie to see. I think
1: a lot of people are just waiting for Disney+. Plus
0: yeah or or watch it when it comes there I mean, even if you don't see it in the box office, I still think it's worth seeing yeah so agree agree so um, yeah, I didn't have any big gripes with it. I think the worst thing you could say about it is just that like it it's like, if you if you're just superheroed out, then it's just more superhero, so yeah. that's i mean that's that, a yeah thing, that's but, a, that's a whole other that's but that, whole yeah other at that point problem. that's yeah, yeah that so. Cool, well, hopefully Marvel can figure things out. I'm rooting for them. I really am. Is um, that
1: all three of your Marvel stories?
0: That's all the Marvel stories <laughs> I've got. I'm, I'm done with Marvel.
1: Now. Well, I have a gaming story. Okay, let's game. So, well, now you will truly be able to game. Oh, will I? Because EA is officially working on letting players voice their own in-game characters. Okay. Yeah, so.
0: I want to voice my character. Let's hear Electronic
1: Arts, EA, is seemingly working on a new technology that allows players to input their voice into the game, which is then replicated-slash-adopted by the in-game character.
0: Is there a specific game for this, or is it just like a...
1: There is no game, but a there's a patent on file. On. Okay. So... This patent was discovered by Very Ali Gaming and was originally filed back in October 2020, but only came became public earlier this month. The patent reveals a rough outline for a new type of technology that's spe- that specifically designated to reproduce the speech of a player within a game through a system that includes a synthesizer module, a voice converter module, and a vocoder module. Or vocoder module. In short, you, you can, can your, voice your, your, your yeah. character thoughts i'm horrified terrified
0: so i don't think it's like that bad right so you're not thinking deep enough well there's certainly are terrifying implications mm-hmm. the fact that they're getting voice data that's already like kind of weird and I, I have a weird feeling they would also like sell it back to you if they could where it's like you can pay to have a version of your character like you have your character voice a thing and like it's an nft like i feel like th- there's like a dark future where that could exist. So that kind of creeps me out.
1: See, that's what you're worried about. I'm worried about the users.
0: Okay, what are you thinking? What's the use case here?
1: So I'm horrified. So, you know, uh, games are getting more mature nowadays.
0: Oh, dear. I see where this is going.
1: Yeah. uh, (laughs) uh, So, you know, more games are including, like, sex or sex-adjacent, like, acts. And now... um, you're not just creating your character. Some people make their characters look like themselves. Some do yeah. that. Now it can sound like you too, so you can go have sex with the little green woman or blue woman or person, really it could be whatever you're into. Um, cuz now uh, it could now you it could be your moans and
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. And then and then I was like, "Oh, but what about modding?" Oh god.
1: You yeah. can mod
0: I mean, something I also kind of worry about is like if this was in like let's say some you know rated M Skyrim esque game or oh no whatever one of those what what is the RPG that EA makes Dragon something Dragon Age
1: oh Dragon Age
0: yeah like you know just imagining a world where like what if you're a kid playing this and so like you're a kid and like you put in like their voice like would they surely they should not allow you to do that I mean how could they know. Like, I would think that there would have to be an agreement, like a legal agreement, where it's like, okay, you can't use this, like, voice inputter thing unless, like, you're 18 or older. Now, obviously, people will lie, but at least there's got to be, like, some dis- disclosure well, at thing.
1: that point, the, they have to increase the entire rating of the
0: game, right? Well, the thing is, if it's rated M or something... Oh, then it's already... Then it 18. already But they don't want to rate games 18 and up. I mean, most of the RPGs, like Skyrim and stuff, already are that. Like, most of them are already M. I don't,
1: you know, you know a lot of Skyrim players weren't adults, right?
0: Oh, I know they weren't. I'm oh, just saying okay, that, sure. like... Because, so, like, for the company, they've covered their backs, like, legally. They they put the Rated-M thing on it. Now, whether or not, you know, 12-year-old Jimmy plays it is just... That's up to, I guess, his parents' discipline or something, whatever. But, like, it just, it's concerning because, yeah, like you said, if there's, like, scenes that are maybe more explicit in nature and, like, these... It can be you. It can be you in the scene, uh... And then and and there's more. There's more that I worry about.
1: Um, like you know, voice actors exist for a reason, and EA is introducing a piece of technology that would that could potentially close a, a type of job for voice actors.
0: Oh, that's true, isn't it? You voice your character. It's kind of dark. You know what it reminds me of a little bit? What? It's like that at grocery stores where it's you know like self checkouts. You check out your oh, yeah. groceries. You check out your groceries. You know what groceries. I mean? And, like, and, and in the process, we will fire, yeah, those, you know... A, a, all those lanes are empty now. Yeah, nowadays. those lanes are empty, or if they even exist, some have just been, like, torn down. A lot of Walmarts you go to now are just fully self-checkout. Um, and so, we've fired those people, but also you're doing the task of, you know, checking out your groceries. There's not, a, like, a clerk or cashier or whatever. You're still paying the same amount for the groceries. You're not getting any savings because they fired somebody... So, it's like a similar case in this video game where it's like, oh, we didn't actually hire anybody to voice the main character. We just, you, you voice them. You
1: do it. You do the work for us. And in the
0: name of immersion, we'll say, you know, it's a big technological marvel, but like truthfully, it's just like, oh, we didn't have to pay somebody. It's like,
1: so now you can be Peter Parker in the next uh, Spider Man game. You can be Geralt in the next Witcher game. You can be, uh, you, oh, and, Now I'm thinking about the NPC uh, trend that was going around. People already want to voice their own, like, NPC characters. Now you can be a main character.
0: Yeah. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. I, 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 it's concerning. Okay, this does remind me, too, of, like, there's a technology, I think, Apple on, like, iMessage has where, like, you can kind of make a voice clone of yourself. I think even Samsung might have something like this. Voice clone? Like, a voice, like, you basically do what you were doing, what you're describing in that story, where, like, you say a bunch of voice lines, like, you know, for a couple minutes, it synthesizes your voice, and then it has a version of Alex's voice that now, when you send me text messages, if I'm, like, also on iMessage or whatever, I can choose to have your text messages read out to me in your mm-hmm. voice. So, like, I say I'm driving, or just in some way I can't, like, reach my phone and, like, see the message. Yeah, like, because some people, like, when they're driving or just... Commuting or whatever, they'll just have their messages like read out to them in their earbuds or their car speakers but or whatever. It should
1: be use a generic robot. Yeah, voice. yeah, but it won't use a
0: robot voice. It'll use your voice. No. So that, and now I feel more connected to the message and it feels like it's coming from you. No, and but not, it's not from me. Well, you, but here's the thing. You sent the message. But I didn't say it. The thing is, like, it's still a message that you, you typed out and sent, but it's just being read out to me in your voice. Nope. I hate it. Yeah. Terrifying, right? That's kind of, kind of like what the, the game has those vibes to. So. Like, Do they I, say anything else about this?
1: No, because there's not much more to say. All that they just have the patent. They know that EA at least is working on something. We don't know when it'll be implemented and how exactly it'll be implemented. But uh, it, I just thought it was a uh, it is an interesting story, you know.
0: Yeah, it's one of those terrifying. You can kind create
1: of- it because I'm a. In Cyberpunk, you know, I made my character. They even let you customize their genitals for some strange reason. Yeah, I didn't really, really come up in the game all that much. But then, so you are telling me now, I could have also like voiced the character. Yeah. So it's like I could I could have had my like twelve uh, inch phallus dragging on the ground, and it's my voice. And <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: <sighs> 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 Too much personalization in these yeah, games, man. That's a lot of personalization. That is a lot. I can't wait to play these games personally. <laughs> Honestly, I'm looking forward to know. Um, all right, any other any other story? That's it. That's all I have. That's all you got. Okay. Well, I think we have time to do a little bit of pot on the podcast. Uh, no, I
1: don't do that anymore. I mean, oh, you said you meant you meant this pot. That's not how you shake it, Paul. You gotta like really.
0: We have more viewer questions to read, and this so as a reminder, we will be opening a Google form. Should be in the show notes now. Got my first card. Let me get one, two. We each draw two cards from the pot of greed. All right, what Let's you see see got, what Bob? i got to say? Okay. Um, this is a quick and easy one. Um, what were your favorite foods in Japan? Oh, this is an interesting one. Yo. Um, so yeah, now we this did is get to go to mm. Japan. There's probably a more a, a story. From a few months ago, or a question from a while back, but, but we
1: never did tell them too much about our experience. In this case, it's about food. My favorite, the favorite, my favorite thing that I ate in, in Japan, and it's kind of a uh, pedestrian uh, mall curry.
0: Mall curry, okay. Yeah,
1: so because we ate it, at, we remember we ate it at that uh, one mall quite a few times near our hotel. Oh yeah, yeah. And one spot specialized in curry, and they would they had all these different types of curries that they would make. And it was all fire. I loved it. I loved eating the curry. It was. And you would think, oh, it's mall curry. It's going to be garbage.
0: That was some of the best food I ever had in my life. I mean, maybe it was bad to the people who are used to living there. They might think it's like Maybe for them. For food. me,
1: I was like, yo, this mall curry is crazy.
0: Yeah. I actually, one of my favorite things um, was fish for breakfast. It is such an uncommon thing, like, uh, you know, here in the States. But just having fish for breakfast was like kind of, it was a very...
1: Because, like, I didn't have any uh, fish at the hotel, but on the flight back, Mm -hmm. you know, they were still serving us Japanese-style food. I got the the Japanese-style breakfast where we had the fish and everything else. And I was like, well, this is certainly weird. Yeah, I feel like we weren't,
0: unfortunately, there long enough to really, like, kind of indulge in the cuisine. I think if we were Mm -hmm. ever to go back to Japan, that's—I'd like to maybe be there longer, and that's one of the things I really want to experience is, like— some truly, like, cultural, just unique, you know, dining experiences. That was the most
1: savory breakfast I ever had in my life.
0: But, yeah, I did, I liked that the breakfast is, it's not just, like, eggs and bacon. Which is, like, fine, you know, but I, I liked, um, I liked having that. Anyways, what's your card? I got, our new archetypes just
1: engines these days? Oh, mm, I do remember That's more of a this. general Yu-Gi-Oh
0: question. So, I would say the best ones are the best ones are i mean i guess this person maybe they have a bit of a concern about like our archetypes moving too much in that direction there are some that feel like that's kind of the case like in age of overlord the um both the snake eye kind of diabellstar diabellstar in this case is separate from snake eye yeah related but yeah like diabellstar is an, it's an engine of sorts mm-hmm. And the same can be said also of Horus. Yep. Um, Horus almost feels like it was made to be just teched as a just, just rank 8 kind of thing anything. and monster presence. Uh, is it a good or a bad thing?
1: I think it. De- at that point it depends on um, how much of a
0: game developer you are. Like a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh cards, like I think this person's right. Like the, the prompt is right. I think more and more archetypes these days do kind of feel like they're, they kind of become engines more so than anything. They're ready to
1: become part of Alphabet Soup.
0: Yeah, I know Infernoble's kind of feels like it's reached that territory where a lot of people will run it kind of just as a kind of fire warrior engine, but it's like a small package. What's we,
1: and what's weird about that is that, you know, at one point Infernoble was a deck, but for in,
0: in order for it to become quote-unquote good, it had to become an engine. What it seems like with Yu-Gi-Oh! What happens a lot with Yu-Gi-Oh! now is that players... The game is so mature now... Mm-hmm. That, like, we kind of have lost a little bit of the whimsy and the, like, idea of, like, can this whole archetype be very good on its own? Because what we're really looking for are just what are the best parts that we can extract yep. from this archetype? What is the kind of standalone... Like, if you think about when it was around, like, the Thunder Dragon deck, people weren't really playing, like, Thunder Dragons wholly. They were oftentimes just playing, like, Dragon Dark, Dragon Hawk, and, like, Colossus or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, was just, it, it was
1: the smallest amount of... Of Thunder dragons to get the most payoff.
0: Yeah, the smallest amount for the most payoff. That's a great way to put it, actually. And I think you know, since around that time, we've kind of always done a fair bit of that in Yu Gi Oh. Just what is the the leanest the, the frog engine in a sprite deck, mm. or you know, whatever. Like, there's there's so many like the tier cards. You know, integrate a lot of other graveyard based engines that you can run really lean. Is it a good or a bad thing? Well, I don't hate it. I think it allows for some creativity and originality. I uh, hate it a little, but not as much as I used to, I think. I'm just as a pure Yu-Gi-Oh stand, like I'm a huge pure. proponent of playing my decks like pretty pure, pretty on-theme. But even I have my like lines in the sand that pretty, I uh, Xenophobic deck building, you might say. Yeah, xenophobic deck building, so whatever. All right. Um, um, I mean, and like but that's just I say that, but like that's just like personal preference of mine mm-hmm. i don't believe that other people should be like bound by those right. rules like if people want to combine like five different engines to a deck whatever like i'm still going to play against it i'm you know i fine. mean
1: i won't but power to you
0: <laughs> but yeah like i like to play my decks pure where i can i don't like the idea of a deck just kind of being co-opted for its best parts its best organs and then everything else is kind of just thrown to the wayside i think it'd be cool to see more decks exist on their own but as as it is konami isn't doing like archetype locks much for these decks so. no they
1: only do that for bad decks
0: yeah archetype blocking actually is their way of like yeah, that's how you limit you you know when they want an archetype to not be like too good you know and then we'll make it kind of overbalanced and then we'll lock it into its archetype after you use this one effect that's how
1: they lock up all the like extremely gimmicky uh mechanic breaking
0: archetypes these lock them right. in for now for, um, for now and then, like, the good stuff, like, magically, Kashdera doesn't lock you in anything. Neither is T.R. elements. Not a day and, in its life has it locked you into so you know, much of anything. So they don't really care to do that. And so the same kind of applies to, like, Horus and mm. that Bellstar, all that. So, yeah, it's definitely more of a trend. This person's right. Um, do I like it? Personally, nah. As a player in general... I can take it or leave it. It's you played play through
1: anything as long as it's on Macedon. Yeah,
0: like I'll play, so <laughs> whatever, I'll be fine.
1: All right, let's dig in here again. Yeah. This one's long. Oh, okay, here we go. Discuss the new Dark Magician and Blue-Eyes White Dragon Asian-English decks and power-up packs.
0: Should we have them? Yeah, I think this person was referring to should we have like power up packs and stuff as well. Uh, so I think we might have mentioned this in the last podcast, but there are new Asian English, which mm-hmm. is basically OCG cards written in English and distributed in territories that are not Japan. So, like other Asian territories, right? I believe that's like China, like your Singapore's thing. Could like not that. tell you exactly. Yeah, which I might is. be mistaken on the exact places, so somebody can maybe correct me, but. Um, yeah, so they recently released these, um, updated Dark Magician and Blue Eyes White Dragon themed decks. And they have much more of the updated support that's your, like, Dark Magical Circle, Eternal Soul. Dragoon. Mag- Magician Souls and stuff for for Dark Magician, they don't get Dragoon, I don't think. Of course not. And, like, Blue Eyes gets kind of its equivalent cards, um, Bingo Machine, that sort of thing. Um, Blue Eyes Jet Dragon. So, uh, these are pretty interesting sort of structure decks because... They are very uh, archetype-centric. Like, they work. They're a little Mm -hmm. bit better than like what you might expect in a starter deck. And they also have power-up packs that you can get that contain some related cards that are a little bit more generic in nature. And so... um, People are, I guess this comment is wondering, is that something that the TCG could maybe benefit from having, like structured decks that also maybe have a power-up pack in them?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you right now, there's no way that Blue Eyes deck is better than the Blue Eyes decks they have at our shop right now. Oh,
0: Saga Blue Eyes? They've since been selling 2013?
1: those. For, and, they, and they're still just as good as they were back then. That's true, you're right. I, yeah. I would like to see Asian English try.
0: Yeah. Um, and I'm going to
1: keep selling them things. They can't be bad.
0: Well, I will say this. I have actually ordered one of each of these decks um, from overseas, so they'll probably be here hopefully in, like, a week maybe, so we can do a video with them. I I was really excited about that. I think the concept for these products is great. I think it's something that the TCG really could just use. I know that people are very, you know, there's some, there's a car outside, but I know that some people are very, like, iffy on the whole, like, pushing a lot of legacy support. More Blue Eyes, more Dark Magician, blah, blah, blah. But listen guys, that that stuff sells. That's what makes money. That's you know? the type of stuff that like for Konami it, it pushes sales. Those things fly off the shelves. And unfortunately, the things that won't really fly off the shelves as fast are like Valiant Smashers. Valiant Smashers or the Dark World structure, the trap trick structure. They'll fly off the shelves for like a maybe more competitive player who wants to, you know, kind of like a budget trap tricks deck, sure. But this is what you can sell to a person who does not know as much about Yu Gi Oh. Mm -hmm. They remember it. It it's a good kind of. I don't know if I call it like an onboarding product, but I think it it inadvertently functions as that. And all you need to do is be able to speak Asian English, which is English. I mean, I don't know. I guess for them though, that might be sort of a more bizarre like language for the product to be. I wonder
1: if because we're gonna get them soon. I want to compare the cards and see if there's any uh, actual like functional
0: different oh, physical the, the differences way they are printed and like printed and
1: translations
0: that. i'm curious yeah so i think it's a cool product as for the power up packs thing they've done power packs before actually um very briefly there i remember the v for victory uh did you know anything about this no this is no. New. This was like in 20 like maybe 12 or something they did this like um Starter structure deck sort of constructed thing and then it had power-up packs that you were intended to basically buy the structure deck and get your power-up packs. And the power-up packs would have like five cards out of a pool of maybe 25 cards. What was cards. in it? Think like Forbidden Lance at the time. Oh, I meant what was the structure deck? It was like a Utopia, just kind of Zexalish mm-hmm. themed mm. strategy. Um, I don't remember this one. Yeah, it was. it's kind of niche. Um, some people who are listening might remember this but um, I like the idea of of, like, structure decks that have, like, power-up packs where basically you and a friend could buy these structures. Mm -hmm. Ideally, if there's two, that's even better. Like, two different ones. So, like, you get Blue Eyes, I get Dark Magician, and then, like, also we get these...
1: I would never. Or vice versa. Oh, okay, i will do that.
0: And we get our power-up packs, and it kind of slightly changes our decks and allows them to be a little bit different, a little bit better. Um, And it gets you... It's like a gateway into opening packs and changing your deck. Yeah. Because that's sort of what you're, like, taught in these TCGs is, like... You buy your starter deck, and now you need to buy some packs to like power it up and change it. So I I would like to see this sort of thing added into the TCG. You probably would want to include some meta reprints just so that like that your competitive players can...
1: Yeah, you got to get some droplets can, in there. Yeah, throw in like, whatever Prosperity. kind of that. I
0: guess I guess by today's market, thrusts. and got to have your thrusts. SP little I mean, knights. SPs, please. SPs. Please. But yeah, I would I would like that. I think it's it's. I mean, even like Digimon and stuff, they do like the power up packs, or they did. I remember the first Digimon structured or like starter deck like I bought had like an extra pack or something in it.
1: Oh yeah, that's a thing that's uh, in certain card games. You do see that. Uh, you even get that in uh Magic the Gatherings um, Commander pre-con decks. Oh, they, have, they have actually a include a pack in those. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So yeah, this is another way of just getting t- getting someone to take that step and a half. They, they took a step when they bought the sealed product. Yeah. But you need to get them used to buying packs so you do, you include a taste, right? Yeah. A taste of ones in there. They open up their first booster pack and it's like, oh wow, you've already opened up your first pack. Now you, now you gotta open your second one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really does also speak to this, like, the, the, the card game culture that you're supposed to kind of be, like, buying into here. I know for a lot of these, for like Yu-Gi-Oh, it's such a mature card game that in many cases people are um immature people well people are a bit jaded about what they're willing to buy yeah. like you know if, you're, if you've just been playing for a long time you like your competitive decks i uh and you see it all the time online people are like i don't want to like buy packs anymore i just want my singles i mean i've seen and seen people on like master duel like i don't want to watch these stupid animations i don't want to grind for gems i just want to be able to like hop on here build my decks and just play 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 And so I think a lot of times it's easy to forget that the route into card games in general is that, you know, you got to kind of buy some packs and trade with friends. And I know, like, some of that's kind of died off in recent years because people are much more critical of every new product. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm only going to buy it if it can, like, directly profit me. Um, We've talked about this. But I think that for a new person, this sort of experience sounds like exactly what Yu-Gi-Oh! probably needs right now. Yeah. And it sells better on the shelf because, like, if you do throw in a few nice little reprints that, like, can get a competitive player's, like, you know, I, then it means that this is no longer just a product where, like, once you've bought one or whatever, you're done. There's still, like, a little bit of an RNG pull there. and That's
1: what they should have put in the uh, Valiant Smashers. SP Little Knight, an immediate
0: reprint. <laughs> yeah actually it's funny it would have flown off the shelves well, value smashes would be gone it'd be off the shelves and you know what all these like centurion cards would be like they'd be much like cheaper like half the price because <laughs> there'd be so much being open so i don't want no centurion I just want middle knights yeah yeah i mean you guys know my my uh my take on reprints my stance has always been just reprint a lot reprint quickly don't waste time i think people deserve to just be able to like play the cards
1: yeah, so. maybe not within the same month, but I feel like you know, for especially quickly. very relevant cards like Little Knight, let's go ahead and get that reprint in before the year's out. All right,
0: like, yeah, I say like throw that in soon, yeah. like for sure, in some months. Anywho, I guess that's all of the all of the pot of greed
1: questions. We've had enough pot, y'all.
0: Yeah, we've had enough pot. Two each, two draws each. <laughs> um. Yeah. So hopefully you guys enjoyed. Um, this was a fun podcast back. Yep. It's good to be back. Yeah. Remember, you guys, in the description, we're going to have a Google form where you can submit topics, questions and things like that. And that's what we'll start kind of pulling from and for keep, our pot questions.
1: And keep your eyes open for our new clips channel to see any segment of uh, of the pot of greed that you enjoy. Yeah,
0: anything that we talked about. Anyways, make sure you subscribe to APS Amplifier and, of course, Team APS on YouTube. Follow us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter.
1: And drop us that
0: five-star review. Yeah, five-star review, a comment, a thumbs up. Anything helps. All right. I think that's going to be it. We'll see you guys in the next one.
1: Pass turn.